Welcome to the Strength in Numbers podcast, where we have passion for starting conversations about the Enneagram and team building to help you understand people. Today, Caitlin and I are interviewing Enneagram Type 5 Stephanie. We did have a few computer glitches during this recording, so you may hear some a few odd sounds, but I think you'll get all of her message. And we start right out with Stephanie introducing herself. So have a great time and enjoy the podcast. I'm Stephanie Ferguson. Right now, I am located in rural southeastern New Mexico in the middle of the Permian Basin oil field belt. Um, Rather rural community, but I've lived all over the country. Um, Grew up in Pennsylvania. uh, Started my teaching career in Louisiana. Have lived in Arizona. Have lived in Virginia. And now I'm in New Mexico. my background. Okay, I, just have, I have to interrupt for just a moment. Um, where in Pennsylvania are you from? Lancaster. Um, when I was in third, fourth, fifth, and sixth grade, I lived in um, Warrington. Mm-hmm. That's not too far from you, right? I actually taught at a, well, worked at a summer camp um, right outside of Warrington. Um, in between my sophomore and junior years of college. <laughs> but yeah, if you've ever seen the movie Witness with Harrison Ford, that was filmed in my hometown. Mm-hmm. So there you go. Um, I started my career uh, out of college as an English teacher, a junior high and high school English teacher, and moved into gifted education. Um, I have a PhD in special education um, and then a second master's degree in clinical mental health counseling um, that I just earned in 2019. Um, and so what, what I'm finding interesting um, as I'm training and, and learning to be a, an Enneagram coach is really... <laughs> how accurate the Enneagram is um, and how much I appreciate in comparison to all of the other personality type tests that are out there in Myers-Briggs, Spark type, you know, the list is this long. Mm -hmm. Um, I am someone who has always sought to find out the motivations of the people that I interact with, right? Um, You know, as a five, I value, I'm an introvert, and a lot of people misunderstand introversion as someone who doesn't want to be around people, and that's not it at all. Introversion is about where you get your energy, mm-hmm. and I get right. my energy, and I recharge when I'm by myself, and then I expend all of my energy when I'm interacting with other people, you know, so I would teach all day, and then I would come home, and I would just, I would just need an hour, just give me an hour and I need to recharge and then I'm good. Mm -hmm. But if I don't get that hour, the depletion kind of is exponential. Yes. Um, And so, um, you know, for me, finding those underlying motivations helps me in my role as a Dean um, because I often have to mediate disputes and conflict 
um, bring disparate groups together to try to move forward on a project or get buy-in from stakeholders. And so understanding different people's motivations then allows me to couch what I say and how I present things so that it speaks to those motivations and it brings us together and is, allows us to move forward that much more quickly. Um, and then in counseling, I think it's, it's similar, although we're trying to get to um, what's motivating you to have these behaviors if there's a dysfunctional behavior or what's motivating you to make these choices. And you know, it allows to make that connection a little bit faster to be able to help people see change and process change um, a little bit more quickly than, than what they would typically. Yes. So um, uh, Stephanie, how did you get introduced to the Enneagram and how long have you known you were a five? <laughs> well, I think I was first introduced to the concept of the Enneagram when I was an undergrad. No, actually when I was a doctoral student, I think. Um, I took a psychology of personality class. And so of course you're exploring all of the different, you know, typing mechanisms and, and the history of personality typing and that kind of thing. And I think that was my first exposure to it. Um, but it was kind of this side note. It wasn't something that was taken seriously like a Myers-Briggs or, or another, um, you know, named, sold kind of kind of personality typing instrument. Um, and then I got reintroduced to it uh, after earning my, my master's degree in counseling. Um, and I got reintroduced to it. Uh, I can't even remember the name of the book, but it was it was a book that cast it in the sense of a, of um, not being antithetical to the biblical teachings in the gospel, um, you know, because there are there are those that hold that oh well you know it's it's antithetical to to biblical teachings and I don't see it that way. Um, anything that helps you know yourself better um, then allows you to be able to be more genuine, more authentic as you're interacting with others. Um, and so I only recently in, in starting to, to train to become a uh, Enneagram coach um, really nailed down my type. And I, I rejected it for a long time because five is, is like the prickly point <laughs> of the nine, I think. Um, you know, someone who standoffish and intellectualizes and, you know, is afraid of, of giving too much of themselves. Um, all of those characteristics are, I was like, ooh, ooh, ooh. Um, <laughs> and I'm a counselor and I'm a teacher and ooh, that can't be me. Um, but the more I looked at it and the more I studied it, um, it really is me. And, and it matches with every other personality typing test that I've ever taken. It's, it's the consistency amazes me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I, I really had the desire to dig deep and, and look at, okay, let's accept that you're a five and it, it really is okay. Um, <laughs> but are you a healthy five? 
Mm-hmm. Are, are you an integrated there, there is room for growth and there's growth potential, which of course aligns with everything we know about biblical principles. And so that to me was, was incredibly exciting. And I'm a, my wing is a four. Um, and so that kind of softened, <laughs> softened uh-huh. the load being a five is having that wing that's a four. Um, but it, it was really eye-opening to me to, to dig in. And that translated for me to be purposeful with my boundaries, but not arbitrary with my boundaries. You know, as a mental health counselor, you have to have boundaries right. um, or else the empathy that you, that you feel for your clients then begins to take over and, and begins to, to draw away your energy and you bring that home with you. Um, as a Dean, there have to be boundaries. Um, I'm very close to the people that I supervise, but there's a difference between being close and, and understanding their motivations and who they are and being their friends, Mm -hmm. because at any given time, I may need to be put in a role where I'm required to discipline that person in some way, um, or, have them do something that they don't want to do. And so if that boundary is crossed, that makes that role into place that it's a, it translates to boundaries and having healthy boundaries. So I'm curious, like, as you talk about boundaries, um, and if you think about them in a different way, then just correct me as I describe it, but for you, is it, is it hard to find, is it just hard to find the balance between like becoming like too close or like enmeshed with like a client or, or an employee or someone you're supervising? Um, or do you find yourself having to like extend your boundaries and allow yourself to like move closer to like as a five, someone who's you, you follow what mm-hmm. I'm saying? It's, a, it's an awesome question. And I'm giggling because I tell the story frequently. When I was a brand new teacher, the first year out of college that I was teaching in rural Louisiana, um, I was teaching at a parochial school and I was teaching junior high English. And uh, 27, 30 kids in a classroom. And I can remember going home at night feeling so overwhelmed because the students were at my desk and their their hands were and I can remember buying remnant of carpet and putting putting it underneath boundary the carpet don't come out of the carpet kind Mm -hmm. of thing so to me in retrospect that was me as a five (laughs) trying to figure out where to find that space for myself and and not allow myself to get depleted now 30 years later um i've i've experienced a lot more and grown up and matured um and i don't find establishing those boundaries uh, difficult. 
or context of, of the Enneagram is that I've, I've found that healthy place. Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm a healthy five or approaching healthiness. Um, I'm very much more aware of the difficulties others have with boundaries. Um, and I feel like that's a place that I'm uniquely qualified to help them be able to establish appropriate boundaries in their lives. Um, understanding full well that some of the boundaries I had 30 years ago, maybe were a little, <laughs> a little over the top. Um, but when you look at the whole journey, I think it's, it's really, it's really neat to think about the transformation and how that all changed. Um, Does that make sense, Caitlin? Yeah, like, no, that looking looks at a 30 lot years and, and using yeah. the Enneagram as that lens to look back, I can now pinpoint, you know, where things were not integrated or, or not healthy or not aligned and, and see the course of alignment. So was it just learning about your type and learning about like the tendencies that you had that started to reveal that to you or what about the Enneagram in particular was um, especially helpful? Well, and I think, you know, 30 years ago, I didn't know about the Enneagram. Yeah. Um, I think for me right now, I'm able to use the Enneagram as a lens, you know, and one of the things I, I say frequently in counseling is there's a reason why your rear view mirror is smaller than your windshield, right? Because you don't want to spend your life looking back when, you know, the future is, is what you can control, what you can change. And for me, the Enneagram is kind of that rear view mirror that I'm looking back right now thinking, this really does have credence and weight to it because I can, I can see it in play. Mm -hmm. um, you know, as I look back over my 30 years in, in education. I've got a question, Stephanie, about the boundaries um, in helping others with that. Like I can see how a five would be really good at that um, <laughs> in a positive way. I mean that like you know, that they, they are good at setting setting boundaries. I know um, I, I can't remember if we've said this, but my husband is a five mm -hmm. and, um, and he is good at setting boundaries and he doesn't live in condemnation over them, mm -hmm. um, which as a nine is something that I can struggle with myself. But um, I would say maybe where, or is there, have you noticed, do you have the potential for where the struggle might be, especially in say counseling? Um, how do you get to that spot where you're not just, well, it's just simple, set a boundary, but you're able to empathize with somebody that might not have the black and white or the, just the solid understanding of these facts that you would have um, to be able to share the boundaries with them. Awesome. Um, but to also have some of that empathy in there. Well, and I, I think, you know, when I'm working with somebody who needs to establish boundaries, whether it's in a relationship or whether it's at work or whether it's personal boundaries, um, maybe relationship with food or, or something to that effect. Um, 
I think that's where my background in education really comes in because I, I remember same class as, as the carpet and the island. <laughs> um, I was teaching how to diagram sentences and we were doing direct and indirect objects and the students were looking at me like deer in headlights and grammar has always come easily to me. And I needed to go home and I needed to think about, okay, why aren't they getting this? Why, why can't they see how easy this is? Sorry. Why can't they see how easy this is? And I had to take a couple of steps back and say, well, Stephanie, because nobody ever took the time to, to teach them. At one point, you didn't know this either. And so it was, it was coming up with, I brought a football to class, right? And, and we threw the football. Okay. When we throw the football, that's action. And so, you know, and, and putting it in concrete terms for them helped them understand this weird thing that I was talking about that was just conceptual before. And, you know, in dealing with boundaries, it's the same thing. Um, starting at ground zero. So what is a boundary? Where do you need boundaries in your life? Um, tell me about what's going on in relationships, you know, and, and figuring out where the boundaries need to be and then going step by step through the process of how to set boundaries. What's some possible reactions? And then your, your response to those reactions could be, because if this is important to you, then we need to figure out um, how to set it up and, and make you as comfortable as possible because sometimes setting boundaries where there haven't been any um, is a pretty ouchy thing. And so the more comfortable you can make somebody in that process and trying to figure out possible consequences and permutations of things that could happen, the more relaxed they're going to be. Because if he says this, well, then I know I can say X, Y, and Z in response. Um, so it really is taking it to ground zero. Um, but you're right. You know, someone who um, is a five and sets those boundaries, but hasn't really been introspective about why they're doing it and, and whether or not they're purposeful or whether they're arbitrary, um, I imagine would have a, have a hard time in helping somebody else set boundaries. Uh, especially if there were none, or we've set boundaries, but then we allow them to be permeable all the time. Good. Um, this might be a little bit off topic, but I just have to know if this is other fives or not. Um, <laughs> when um, when you have that tank that you, you know that you've talked about, like when you're at school, um, do you get to this spot where you're just like? I'm out and you almost don't even have to, you don't even maybe even necessarily tell anybody. Like you're just all of a sudden I'm gone and then you can recharge and then you're back. Or are you, um, cause there are certain settings that my husband does mm -hmm. this. <laughs> I, I have an awesome administrative assistant and she can tell just by looking at me. <laughs> nice. And I, like, none shall pass. <laughs> um, and at home, it's, it's a, it's, it's not as, it's not as easy. Um, in counseling, it's not as easy either, but, um, at work, that's, that's one place where, um, 
if it's been a, a specifically trying <laughs> morning, for example, um, I can say, I just need 30 minutes and none shall pass. And so I'm very grateful for that. That helps me, that helps me function at a much higher level for a longer period of time. Mm-hmm. Because I have an, I have an open door policy um, at, at the college. And so anybody from faculty to, to staff that I, that I supervise, um, they know they're always welcome. Um, so it can get, it can get trying at times when, when you need that, that recharge period. You were talking, um, this, this open door policy reminded me, you were talking a little bit before the recording started about when you first began to learn about the Enneagram, you really identified with the two. Mm -hmm. So what were the pieces that were, um, that you related to the most? And then have you, how do you think, do you know about the like subtypes? Mm -hmm. Okay. What kind of, I wonder if it kind of plays into that at all or. Well, you know, I think one of the things that I appreciate about the Enneagram and sometimes we get lost in it because, you know, we all identify by our type and our wing and our this and our that. But we all have a piece of all nine types in us. And sometimes I think we lose sight of that. Um, You know, obviously most of us gravitate to to one main type. But I think what why I thought that I should be a two is because naturally I'm a mental health counselor. So I'm a helper. Why wouldn't I be a two? Right. I'm an educator. I'm a helper. Why wouldn't I be a two? Um, You know, but as you look at the motivations of the two and and the fears uh, and and the the core of a two, I I really I am. But, you know, as I look at other personality typings, there are characteristics of that helper that are pretty strong in my personality. And so um, I think, I think I was being very superficial when I first came to the Enneagram, Enneagram later in life, um, thinking, well, this is my career. So obviously this is what I chose to do. This is, this is who I should be. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that was the dissonance that I really had to get over. <laughs> I got you. I think that's a good example, too, of how, um, while there obviously would be some, you know, common numbers to have certain common jobs, perhaps, that um, our number doesn't have to be what our it doesn't define us. Yeah, right. It doesn't define us. We're, We're more than what that number is. Exactly. And, you know, like in my case, doing the counseling um, was really, I think, part of my path to, to become integrated and, and whole as a five and healthy as a five. Mm-hmm. What is your, what's your subtype? 
Do you know yet? I'm still I'm still working out what the subtype is. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, jury's out. Okay. 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 Yeah, I was just wondering um, because for a five, is is it the social that's the counter? Do you know, mom? I believe so. I think so. I would think so. Yeah. I mean, yeah. to me, that's the logical. Of course, I'm. A yeah, that, that would be the logical response. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Thinking a lot about how um, <clears throat> it's given you a lens to see other people in, mm-hmm. and I. I assume, I don't know, I assume that that could be like particularly helpful for a five to learn about the other types because it gives you sort of like um, maybe like rules or a formula or language for other people so that mm-hmm. you can understand something that may not be um, totally natural for you to understand about another person. Yep. So I want to hear how maybe like some examples or how that's been particularly helpful in terms of team building. You said you have a really good relationships with the people, mm-hmm. particularly at your workplace. I think I haven't, I haven't officially <laughs> typed uh, my, my team and, mm-hmm. and my unit that I supervise, but in knowing them, I've, I've been in this position now six years and getting to know them, um, I, I'm pretty sure I'd be close in, in the typing. Um, of course there are always outliers who are one way at work and they're, they're, they're actually not operating in their actual type, but, um, it's fun now. It's almost like in psychology, when you, when you're doing abnormal psychology, especially when you're learning about, um, all of the derivations of, of human behavior, and then all of a sudden you encounter somebody and in your mind, you're diagnosing them, right? And the project that we're tasked with doing, and if I can find a way to link this person's motivation with the project and this person's motivation with the project and this person's motivation with the project, even though all the motivations may be different, we all have to work on the same project. If I figure out how to marry that, um, then the productivity skyrockets. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think I see what you're saying about how it could sound manipulative, but I think that someone who cares enough about your team and about the vision of whatever it is that you're working on, if you can, if you can use what's motivating you to, to pull a team together to accomplish a mission, that's not, um, that's effective leadership. That's strategic leadship. That's attentive and empathetic leadership, not just like yeah, a manipulation. Not just manipulation. <laughs> motive. Yeah. So that even goes back to what our what our motivation is. To, of course, you can use it in manipulative ways. But yeah. Well, and I I think too, what strikes me as most important is what happens on the other side of that project. So I have four different people on a team, each one of them has a different motivation. And yet we were able to come together on the same project and elicit this, this success. What does that tell you about diversity and not needing 
to be in an echo chamber and not needing to have everybody think the same way in order to be productive. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's huge, especially on a college campus and especially in the context of what's going on in the world today. Mm -hmm. I think that is uh, one of the cool things about the Enneagram is revealing that like my husband will often talk about how it was helpful to see that, oh man, not everybody thinks the same way I do. And then when you're not frustrated because somebody's not thinking the way mm-hmm. that you are, you are able to um, utilize the strengths of everybody rather than like, why don't you, why aren't you doing what I think you should be doing? Um, you're able to call on each person's strengths and cover weaknesses and really have a better, a better team, a better product. If you're working on a, on a project of some sort. Um, Absolutely. Being able to release the, the need, uh, whether it's a need to control or a need to understand or a need to be the authority, um, uh, as a five, I can remember that challenge. I, I can remember coming up against that brick wall, you know, teaching to a classroom and and having to field those questions and not knowing the answer. That's a make or break moment as an educator because you can either shut the question down and guarantee that student is never going to ask a question again. Mm-hmm. Or you can step back from the need to be the sage on the stage and become a facilitator and say, you know what? I don't know the answer to that, but let's figure out how to find the answer together. And that's kind of opposite ends of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. So good. So um Sort of along the same vein, but changing gears a little bit. One of the big changes that the Enneagram can kind of help a, f- a five work through is um, connecting with your emotions and like feeling your emotions. Have you noticed that's been a challenge in your life? And have you noticed um, how the Enneagram has helped or, or even just are there different things throughout your life that have helped you connect more to what your feeling and not just um, in intellectualizing the situations or the emotions you're feeling? I think my default under stress is, is that intellectualization, like most fives, right? Mm-hmm. And, and to withdraw. Um, but I, I would never, and I don't think anybody who knows me would characterize me as someone who is not in touch with with their emotions. And so I think that's where that wing of a four mm-hmm. comes in. Um, and that is really one of the elements that, that helped me decide where my wing was mm-hmm. um, because I see elements of the six in myself as well, but I'm much more lean to that, to that four. Um, as a five, I see myself being much more balanced in the emotion and intellectualism um, than I think many typical fives. 
And I don't know whether that comes from, you know, me always having the interest in, in psychology and, and leaning towards that, that mental health counseling thing or being an educator and just naturally when you're an educator in the classroom, by default, you're a counselor and you're a listener and you're a social worker and, and you're all of those things. Um, but I personally haven't dealt with that. Um, under stress, sometimes I see myself going either way, either withdrawing or like it's all emotions all the time and blah, right there. So feeling that is is expressing those a challenge for you? Or? I think I, I think I may tend to, um, under, under stress, I'll struggle mm-hmm. with expressing those emotions and tend to want to bury them instead of finding the outlet for them. Um, and I think, personally and and relationally, that's probably something um, that I still struggle with Mm -hmm. is, you know, figuring out a way. I don't have a problem validating my emotions, but expressing them. Yeah. You know, I'll, I'll process them all in my head, but that's the issue, right? I'm a five. So it stays in my head. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and so is in the, in the times that you have been able to, when you knew it was a better decision to just go ahead and express like how you're feeling, whether mm-hmm. it's just sort of something that only pertains to you or it's a relationship kind of thing where you need to express is, um, is it sort of just like the awareness that like, okay, I'm safe to express myself. Um, and this is just like, a lie in my head that mm-hmm. I shouldn't or I can't is is it that awareness that helps you overcome it or is it just knowing oh this is my tendency this is a narrative a lie in my head that I I don't know what is it that's helped you well I mean in mental health counseling speak it's that cognitive behavioral therapy right so you identify what the um what the the incorrect cognition is mm-hmm. and what behavior um, that elicits. Mm-hmm. And so for me, my go-to when I recognize it is I'm, I'm a journaler mm-hmm. as an English major. I write. Um, and now I even have an electronic tablet. That's awesome. It's like writing on paper. And so that's, that's where my prayer journal is. That's where everything is. And so if I start to feel myself not like subject that, that emotion, I'll go Mm -hmm. to journaling, right? Because that's a, that's a way for me to be able to get it all out there. And then I can go back to it and really evaluate once again, I'm a five, so I intellectualize it. So I go back and I really evaluate this and and figure out, okay, what is necessary? What is appropriate? What is now 24 hours later or whatever, what needs to be communicated? Mm -hmm. Because I think that goes back to a core fear 
of, of a five that I don't want to put anything out there that makes me seem less than. Yeah. Right. And so if I have an emotional hissy fit, then how is that going to be perceived? Right. Um, either in a professional setting or in a personal setting. Um, and so that's kind of my way to mitigate that situation is journal it and then give some white space. Okay. What needs to be communicated, not in the heat of the moment. Yeah. Do you find that there are certain, um, uh, specifically from a five, from a five perspective, um, I think we all struggle with this in one way or the other at times, but um, they're all often known for being private and wanting to keep things in, you know, mm-hmm. keep things private. So um, are there certain things that you find, well, this is an easy thing to put out there to everybody, but there are other things that you're like, well, I put it out on my journal. Mm-hmm. And um, Oh, Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, part of that too, I can't say that that's, you know, I am the stereotype for all fives, but (laughs) I think you have to filter that by, you know, what, what's your work position? Like for me as a Dean, I'm representative of my institution when I'm at the institution and when I'm not at the institution. And so uh, there's a part of me that's very aware. I need to be careful about what I put on social media, how I appear. Um, If I'm ever talking to anybody from the media, what what is going out there? Um, It's it's really important. And then the flip side of that is that as a mental health counselor, um, I certainly wouldn't want to put anything out there that would then lead to somebody perceiving that they they wouldn't be welcome sitting in my office as a counselor. And so there, there's some heavy filtering that needs to happen based on the roles that I play in the community as well. Mm-hmm. And that... And, and I just said that and it makes it, I said, Stephanie, that makes you sound very disingenuous, but that's not it at all. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's what you, what you said. It's the difference between the private self and the public self. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And but- it doesn't mean it's a different person. It just simply, it simply means that there are boundaries. Mm-hmm. that I have to stay within. Yeah. And still prioritizing. Um, <clears throat> I mean, you, you were saying like you have your methods of pulling, like almost pulling yourself out of your head, which is your natural like disposition mm-hmm. and, and externalizing, pulling yourself towards like a more maybe like gut reaction or mm-hmm. heart reaction but then when you look at like your healthy motivations for the reasons why you're putting these boundaries and these filters on, it's for the benefit of others and the protection of others and the respect mm-hmm. of others and your community like you're talking about, but um, not like a, a self-protection kind of 
um, unhealthy five sort of. And, and I think, I think that's an important differentiation um, that once again, looking at those core motivations and what's behind the, the actions um, is important to know I think that nuance would probably be lost <laughs> on, on a lot of people. Um, but you know, it's, it's the way I've learned to function and, and it's so far it's working, not always perfectly, but mm-hmm. it's a coping mechanism. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. I love to hear your insight and how you, <laughs> even just hearing, um, how you, I love hearing the ways that different types or just different individuals, not just different types use. Um, Cause you can hear even in your language, how, how five of you it is to utilize the, the different perspectives as like, I, I said it before, as like a set of rules and ways to understand in a, more, mm-hmm. in a deeper way, something that you hadn't before. So is there anything else important for us to touch on before we wrap up not that i can think of do you guys have any other questions for me as a as a captive five (laughs) we're unicorns you know yeah i I have totally loved this um (laughs) i obviously love fives um (laughs) uh and i think seeing a healthy five is um is so they're so powerful. You can really see how they could be going to that eight in the growth path and can really be powerful. Um, because I think you have a, when you, when you are healthy, um, just maybe kind of going uh, is simplifying it, um, going back to the boundaries that, um, fives are good at, at setting those. And then when you're healthy, and you are able to um, get out of just that thinking triad and the facts and um, really can um, be, be who God called you to be in no matter what the setting. Like I think mm-hmm. a lot of times with the five, we want to say, you know, they want to, what they want to stay away from people. They're just in their book learning kind of a thing. Um, but a, a healthy five can be so powerful and really step out in their God-given gifts and bless the community that they're in, in such a, in such a really powerful way um, with their, their logic and um, strength. Well, and I, I think that, you know, it's something that I've recognized, especially as I've been delving deeper into into the Enneagram and and training. It's a purposeful, intentional decision that's made on a daily basis to step out. And let me tell you, I could easily be at home on a windowsill reading my Kindle. I'm I'm all about it, happy to do it. No problem in my own company, not a problem at all. But that's not who God created me to be. I wasn't created to be an aesthetic in the desert in a cave. 
Uh, It's just not. And so it's a decision that I make to put myself out there and figure out ways to do it in such a way that I'm healthy and I'm not depleted. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. And so needed. Um, I think I, 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 I appreciate that so very much when, um, you can see beyond, beyond yourself to the bigger picture of God's purposes. Um, so many more are blessed because of it. Well, thank you guys. This has been awesome. Oh, thank you so much. I have totally You're welcome. love this. Uh, we could keep talking all day. I think <laughs> I have but so many should... more questions. <laughs> <laughs> well, feel free to, to send them via messenger or send them via email. I'm happy to, I'm happy to respond <laughs> or I'm happy to do a follow-up. <laughs> yes. Yes. We might have to have you back. Thank you so much. Nice to meet you. (laughs) You too. Thanks for joining us today for our type five interview. Stephanie gave us such a great view into the mind of a five who has done some great personal work. Join us again next week when we'll be talking to a type six. We'd love it if you would like and follow us. And if you think you know others who might find this information helpful, please share. Have a great week and don't forget, there's strength in numbers.